If you're visiting uh, with us this morning, we have been journeying through uh, the New Testament letter known as uh, 1 Peter. And we have seen in 1 Peter that we as believers are called upon to be hope in the darkness, to uh, display hope, to point to the hope that is Jesus Christ our Lord as we uh, walk, as we live, as we conduct ourselves as God's people in this world. So let me invite you to open the scriptures with me to the New Testament letter of 1 Peter found near the end of uh, the completed and written uh, book known as the Bible, the Scriptures. And if you're using a pew Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, I would certainly uh, encourage you to do so. You can find First uh, Peter on about page 980, 981, somewhere uh, in that neighborhood. And as we looked at uh, the portion of this, of this letter that we did last week, uh, as Christians, we were challenged uh, with this instruction, with this truth. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Peter wrote, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives, Christians, among the pagans, among unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may glorify God on the day that he visits us. And the way that unbelievers would come to glorify God is by turning to Jesus for salvation. By repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. The New Living Translation translates that same verse this way. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, Wrong. They will see your honorable behavior, Christian, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And I have challenged us, as James shared a few moments ago, to be intentional this month, especially always, but certainly this month and tonight, if you have opportunity to, to reach out and to love our neighbors. Maybe that looks like inviting them into your home. Maybe that uh, looks uh, differently. Maybe uh, another way that you reach out to them and uh, with the hopes of building a relationship with them. Some of you are very good at this. Some of you have probably done this many times. Others of us have not done this so much. But let's be intentional about reaching out to, to others with the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. In fact, Ashley and I are participating tonight. We're inviting some of our neighbors into uh, our home. So if you think of it this evening, pray for us uh, that our parenting and our other flaws would not be a hindrance uh, to the gospel, but would actually uh, point people to the good news of of salvation. But believers, let's be the best neighbors. Let's be the best husbands. Let's be the best wives. Let's be the best uh, children and parents. Let's be the best uh, classmates and co-workers uh, that the name of our God might be honored, that others might look at our lives and be drawn to our Savior. In fact, even as we worship in this place week after week, let's love and let's serve and let's worship with such humility and sincerity and love for God that guests and even unbelievers who may gather with us are drawn to the one and only God who saves. With that being said, let me invite you to, to join me in First Peter, First Peter uh, chapter 3. And as you find your place there, let me invite you to join me standing for uh, the reading of, of God's word. First Peter chapter 3, beginning in Verse 1, the scriptures read 
this way. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him Her Lord, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now let's bow. In prayer, Father, we do ask you, uh, we invite you to lead us now in rightly understanding the truths of your word. Give us guidance by your spirit uh, so that we might apply them to our lives, so that we might continually be transformed more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. As we've been journeying through this uh, particular Letter. We came to a point last week in First Peter chapter 2 that Peter began to address uh, specific relationships. And so he addressed uh, the, the uh, citizen relationship with governing authorities. He addressed the master-slave relationship. And we said, uh, based upon slavery in the first century and the principles that were at stake there, that that can be uh, readily transferable to the workplace uh, today. And then he addressed uh, Christians somewhat generally uh, as those who may be susceptible to suffering, to injustice, to persecution in the world, and even so uh, called upon uh, us Christians to honor God uh, in the face of such suffering. And today he transitions to another uh, relationship, a specific relationship, the relationship of husbands and wives, uh, and then gives some more general instructions uh, for Christians at large. And because this is part of a larger section and a continuum of of thought, uh, I've taken one of the central truths that we uncovered last week, that we uh, saw in chapter 2 last week, uh, and presented that and am presenting that today to be uh, a guiding exhortation for us as we seek to rightly understand this portion of God's Word. And it is this. It is the challenge uh, for us that who are believers as those loved and claimed by God We are called to live such good lives that unbelievers believe. As those loved and claimed by God, as those who have been purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and are called as God's people, just as Peter does in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and and 10. As those loved and claimed by God, we are called upon to live such good lives, such honorable lives, that other people look at our lives and some of them come to believe in in our God, the one and 
and only God. And today we look at this text and seek to understand marriage and mission for God's glory. Marriage and mission for God's glory. So in First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 12, Peter addresses three specific groups of people. He addresses Christian wives, and then he addresses Christian husbands, and then he uh, addresses Christians at large. He address, uh, addresses all Christians in verses 8 uh, through, through 12. And as he's been uh, communicating and proclaiming, writing, um, uh, addressing these particular relationships, uh, he addresses them, I believe, uh, in such a way that reminds us that believers have opportunities in every relationship, in every circumstance, uh, to honor God and to point others to the beauty of, of God. And marriage is certainly no exception. So a truth for us as we begin today is that Christ followers, Christians, followers of Jesus, Christ followers honor God by practicing and promoting His design for marriage. Christ's followers, those who claim to know and to follow Jesus as Lord, are called upon to honor God by practicing and promoting His design for marriage. And I know the moment that I began to talk about marriage, I automatically risk losing some of you. This is sort of like someone uh, coming up to me and uh, talking to me, let's say, about retirement or about women's gymnastics or uh, the garden club or any other host of things that don't really feel like they apply to me right now. So uh, I have a tendency to sort of uh, check out. It's hard for me to be interested in those things. So I know the tendency uh, for children and for students and for singles and uh, for divorcees and for widows to automatically check out when we approach a subject like this. But let me urge you not to do so today. Because here's the truth. Many of us gathered here this morning are married. Uh, many of us uh, may one day be married and we all know people who are married. Many of our children will get married. And if you are married, you are certainly called upon to practice and to promote God's design for marriage. But even if you are not married and you are a believer, all of us are called upon to know God's design for marriage and to promote it in a way that glorifies Him and points others to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to know what God says about this relationship. So what does God say about it? I want to begin early in the Scriptures, Genesis uh, chapter 2, for, for God created, he created all things, He created male and female, He created men and women, and when we read that account in Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam, He created the first man, and, and He said it's not good for man to be alone. And then we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, after the creation of, of woman, and Adam's overwhelmingly positive response to that creation. We read this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh, referring to marriage. So this is God's design from the beginning. And Jesus then later affirms this design in Matthew chapter 19. As he's questioned by the Pharisees about marriage and about divorce in particular. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and following, this is Jesus' response. He says, haven't you read? Haven't you read the scriptures? 
that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so here, back in 1 Peter chapter 3, we read about a flow of thought from addressing citizens at large, particularly believing citizens who are responsible to the government and addressing the master-slave relationship. Now, Peter addresses another relationship, all relationships in which one party tended to exercise some authority over another party in that day, meaning there was great potential for the abuse of that authority. And so when he comes to the marriage relationship, he's not saying that the husband-wife relationship is just like uh, the master-slave or employer-employee relationship or just like the relationship between a government and his citizens, but he's saying that there is some level of connection and certainly when it comes to the potential abuse of authority and the way that we as believers are to respond in such relationships. And this is why he begins chapter 3 saying in the same way or likewise. In other words, there's some similarities here. And I think that as he begins to address firstly Christian wives in chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, we see that that wives, believing wives, are to witness to the gospel as Christ-like followers. Christian wives are called upon, according to God's word, to witness to the gospel, to bear witness to the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, as Christ-like followers. In other words, all of this section as a whole, this entire pericope is concerned uh, with... Uh, how believers bear witness to the truth of the gospel. In other words, we're to live in such a way that unbelievers look at our lives and are encouraged to believe in the message that we proclaim and believe in the God that we worship. And so here he addresses a certain segment of his readership uh, living in scattered places uh, who have unbelieving husbands. Wives who have come to believe the message of the gospel and their, wi- and their husbands have not. And he encourages them, saying they are called to bear witness to the truth of the gospel in such a circumstance, in such a situation, not just by the words they proclaim, but by their very behavior. That's hard enough, is it not, if, uh, if, if one spouse uh, worships God and one doesn't. But imagine if, if a husband and a wife worshipped two separate gods. And that's what Peter is addressing here in a very pluralistic society in which many gods, little g, uh, were worshipped. I mean, we have a hard enough time, do we not, if one spouse grows up Baptist and the other grows up Methodist and they get married. Who's going to compromise when it comes to, to Sunday church? And here... Peter acknowledges that there will be some in the churches he's addressing who have come to believe in the God of Scripture, who have repented and turned to Jesus for salvation and have unbelieving husbands. In essence, I think he says to them, he says, become a good follower of Jesus 
for the sake of the spiritual condition of your husband. And certainly this is not something that is unfamiliar to us even today as today. There are many Christian women, many Christian wives who are devoted to the Lord who have unbelieving husbands. And I think Peter's admonition would be similar in that way. He would say, be the best follower of Jesus you can be for the sake of your husband's spiritual condition. Or we could flip that around and say, husbands, be the best follower of Jesus that you can be for the sake of the spiritual condition of of your wife. So firstly, as Peter addresses Christian wives here, I think we could give this implication or this application. Christian wives, devote yourself to following Jesus. Devote yourself to following Jesus. Follow after Jesus. Make it obvious in your behavior, in your conduct, in your words, that you are a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Don't be like the football fan who doesn't know who his team's playing that week. And I'm guilty of that from time to time. Don't be like the chef that doesn't know what's uh, for dinner tonight. Don't be like the Christian who puts a fish decal on your car and uh, then disobeys every traffic law and curses at those who uh, get in your way. In other words, if you follow Jesus, let others know by your conduct, by your character, that you are indeed a follower of Jesus. That you find your identity in Jesus Christ. That you are a child of God and you are a servant of the Master, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you don't find your identity in things of the world because you're not obsessed with the things of the world. That you find your identity in Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world who gave His life for you, who loves you and who values you and cherishes you as a man or a woman made in the image of God and the likeness of, of God and a child of, of God. And Christian women, devote yourself to following Jesus Christ and invite the Spirit of God to continually transform your mind and your character to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Devote yourself fully to following Jesus first and foremost. And secondly, I believe Peter instructs here, For Christian wives to submit to your husbands as Jesus submitted to the Father. Submit to your husband as Jesus uh, submitted to the Father. Now let me just go ahead and throw this out there and be uh, vulnerable with you this morning. I'm a bit nervous right now. Uh, In fact, I'm nervous every Sunday when I stand before you and, and speak or preach. But I'm especially nervous right now. And it's not, it's not because uh, I, uh, I'm ashamed of what I believe the Scriptures teach. Let me just say that. I don't think that's the case. It's because I know what our present culture shouts. And I also know how this truth has been misconstrued and misapplied in a way that is not honoring to God. I know that there's a lot of baggage with this word submit. So I use it hesitatingly. In fact, uh, earlier this week... I, I was talking to Ashley at home and just asked her, I said, does, does this word, does the word submit bother you in this particular uh, context? Because I know it's got a lot of baggage associated with it and I'd really like to find another word that uh, sort of communicates uh, this biblical truth in a way that is uh, more readily received. And she paused for a minute 
And then she responded uh, in her wisdom uh, this way. Uh, She said, do you really think that you can come up with a better word than God? And I said, okay. I'm going with submit. But with that being said, I want to do my very best to dispel the baggage associated with this idea and to communicate what the Bible says here. So what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say about gender and marriage? I want to give you four things. These are not in your your sermon outline, your sermon notes. So if you're a note taker, you may want to write these down. But the first is this, that the Bible clearly conveys the equality of men and women made in the image of God. That men and women, male and female, are created equally, of equal worth before the one and only Creator, the one and only God. Equally loved and deeply valued and cherished by the one and only God. Secondly, I believe that the Bible, Scriptures affirm male headship or male leadership as God's ideal in the home and in the church, in the home and in the church. Now, we are all responsible, all of us, male, female, young and old, before God. We are responsible to, to God for our conduct, for our behavior, for our sin against God. I believe there's a certain level of responsibility that God has entrusted to men in certain positions of, of leadership, namely, particularly husbands and pastors. Now, thirdly, This is important. The Bible nowhere calls women to submit to men in general. The Bible doesn't call women to submit to men only in certain God-ordained relationships. And then fourthly and finally and perhaps most importantly for us, Jesus Himself, Jesus Himself, the Son of God and Savior of the world, dispels any notion that submitting to another somehow implies inferiority for Jesus is the high king of heaven he is the eternal son of God and creator of the world he is the one who rules and reigns on high and the one who will come again and gather his people to bow before him and to worship him for all of eternity and yet even so Jesus himself submitted to his father in heaven not as an inferior not to the father as his superior as co-equal as co Uh, persons of the Trinity, yet Jesus submitted to the Father. So Christian wives, devote yourself fully to Jesus. Secondly, submit to your husbands as Jesus submitted to the Father, but only when your husband leads you to do things that are honoring to God. In other words, uh, you're not responsible for following a husband's leadership if your husband is calling you to do something that is not honoring to God, in those circumstances, you are called upon firstly and foremost to declare your allegiance to God. He is your primary leader. He is your Lord. He is the one who calls us to be fully devoted to Him. And thirdly, Christian wives, help your husband become the man God desires him to be. Help your husband become the man God desires him to be. I want to turn back to Genesis Chapter 2 for, for a moment. So God is creating. He has created. He has created life. And He's created male. He's created the first man. And Genesis chapter one, 2 verse 18. The Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. 
I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. In other words, God's creation up to that point was, was good. But it would be better for the man with the creation of woman. In other words, woman can do something for the human race and for man that man cannot do on his own. Unless we think that somehow this word help or helper is somehow lesser or inferior. This very same word in the Hebrew is used time after time after time in the scriptures to refer to God himself. For example, Psalm 33 verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our our shield. God is our ultimate help. And he calls upon Christian wives to mirror this type of help with their husband. So wherever your husband is, wife, on the spiritual spectrum, from, from an unbeliever in Jesus to a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to make it your aim to help your husband become the man God desires him to be. To glorify God in that way. Wives are called to witness to the gospel as Christ-like followers. And I think secondly we see here that husbands are called to witness to the gospel as Christ-like leaders. Husbands are called upon to witness to the gospel as Christ-like leaders. First Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. It's the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Unless we think that that God is some sort of male chauvinist, Peter is simply stating the obvious here. I don't don't like uh, the way the NIV renders this as weaker partner. I think a better translation would be weaker vessel or weaker nature because What Peter is saying is that in general, of course there are exceptions, but in general, by and large, men are physically stronger than women. And Peter doesn't address it here, but there would be other truths, natural, easy to make observations, where we would say that women are different and better at some things than than men. So only in our present, twisted, gender Neutrally obsessed culture is what Peter says here come across as offensive. Peter is stating the obvious. He is not in any way belittling women. In fact, he is upholding the dignity and the worth and the value of women as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. As co-heirs of the gospel, co-heirs of the kingdom of, of God. In fact, what he is saying is, fairly countercultural in that day when women were often treated as lesser citizens of lesser worth. He says, no, no, wait a minute. Husbands and wives, men equal before God. The same value, value deeply loved and valued and cherished by the one and only God and Savior of the world. And certainly, as much as we could lament what's wrong with our culture, and certainly much is, We can be thankful that we live in a time and in a day when women, by and large, are not treated as lesser citizens than men. 
You see, the gospel of Jesus changes things like that. The gospel of Jesus changes the way we view one another and calls upon us husbands to love our wives sacrificially. So husbands, love your wives sacrificially. Like Paul said it this way in writing to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he said, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives in the way that Jesus Christ has loved his bride, the church of the living God. So Christian husbands, we are called upon to be servant leaders as Jesus was a servant leader, not simply looking out for our own interests and wants and well-beings, but sacrificially serving others and certainly sacrificially serving our wives. So love your wives sacrificially. Secondly, husbands, provide physically. Provide physically. The Lord is especially calls husbands to make sure that wives and children, family members are well taken care of. Shelter, food, clothing, opportunities, education. And this is certainly in no way belittling the wife who works outside the home or belittling the husband that at this season of life serves in the home. But I do think the Scriptures lay out a responsibility for husbands to make sure that their families are taken care of that goes all the way back to the beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 2. God created the man. He created Adam, Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. It implies responsibility and effort even before sin entered the world, we might add. Certainly, sin changed things. Work became much more difficult, much more cumbersome. It was not in any way before, before that. There's simply no room for laziness among Christians and certainly no room for laziness among Christian husbands. So let's love our wives sacrificially. Let's provide for them physically. And thirdly, let's provide for them spiritually. Let's provide spiritually. The Bible is clear that parents together... Parents and other parental figures are responsible for teaching and training children for next generations in the ways of of the Lord. And if husbands, if Christian husbands are in any way going to be leaders in the home, then Christian husbands must lead out in these things. So husbands, lead out in prayer in the home. Lead in opening the Scriptures together in the home. Lead in owning up to your own Failures and sin before your family. In fact, so serious is a husband, a Christian husband's treatment of his, his wife that here in verse 7, the Lord says that if he doesn't treat his wife with understanding and love and respect that his prayers before God will be hindered. Christ's followers are called to honor God by practicing and promoting his design for marriage. So if you are married, I know that's an if, but if you are married, love and serve your spouse for the Lord's sake. Love and serve your spouse for the Lord's sake. In chapter 2, verse 13, Peter called upon uh, citizens. He said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. I think this idea of following God's design and practicing and promoting His design 
in a way that glorifies God also applies to marriage. So if you're a husband, be the best husband you can be. If you're a wife, be the very best wife you can be. If you're not married and you may one day be married, then begin thinking biblically about God's design for marriage. If you're not married and not going to get married, you certainly know people who are married. And as you have opportunity, encourage them to love and serve their husband or wife for the Lord's sake. The truth is, church, we live in what is quickly becoming a post-marriage culture. Fewer and fewer people are staying married and fewer and fewer people are actually getting married. Like many in my generation see no reason to get to get married. Marriage has been diminished and certain things about marriage are enjoyed outside of marriage and other components of marriage such as commitment and sacrificial love and communal living are disregarded as is not worth it. So church is Christians who believe in the message of Scripture and who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are called upon to show the world that God's design really is best. Just be the most faithful husbands and wives. Just be the most faithful citizens. Just be the most faithful followers of Jesus Christ that points the world to the goodness of God's design and the goodness of our Creator. So remember that Peter's point in all of this section is to encourage Christians to live such good lives that unbelievers begin to believe the gospel. So our role in whatever relationship and whatever circumstance is to bear witness in that role, in that relationship, in that opportunity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ followers honor God with Christ-like character and conduct. Christ followers, believers, Christians, followers of Jesus called upon to honor God with Christ-like character and, and conduct. Now, we don't have time this morning to unpack verses 8 through 12, but verses 8 through 12 speak to a more general appeal and call to a certain way of living and conduct and thinking for those who follow Jesus Christ. But because Christ followers are called upon to honor God with Christ-like character and conduct, a good question for us to ask ourselves in whatever circumstance, in whatever situation, in whatever relationship we find ourselves is this, what would Jesus have me do? What would Jesus have me do? How would Jesus have me respond in this relationship, in this circumstance, in this situation that glorifies him and points others to the goodness of of the gospel. The WWJD movement of the 90s was quite popular and uh, good in that it encouraged us to think about how Jesus might respond to certain situations. Perhaps a better question for us, though, is what would Jesus have me do? Certain things that Jesus did that we're not called to do. But what would Jesus have me do? I think Paul summarizes the central truth of this entire section of 1 Peter 2 and 3 and Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 is writing to believers in Philippi and he says this, he says, in your relationships with one another, Christians, believers, in your relationships with one another, whatever those are, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Same mindset as Christ Jesus and goes on to tell us what that is. 
humbled himself, being born in the flesh on earth in humble circumstances ultimately so that he could lay down his life in a humiliating way so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored, so that we could be reconciled with God. Let's imitate the character and the conduct of Jesus Christ our Lord in such a way that encourages unbelievers to believe in our God. Father, I pray that that would be true for us, that that would be true in our lives. Lord, that we would point others to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only in what we say, Lord, but in how we live. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would continually transform our our character and our thinking that we would grow in how we bear witness to the gospel. Father, I pray that you would lead us now as we respond to the truths of your word, that Lord, that we would confess sin, Lord, to you and to those we have wronged. Father, that you would continually convict us and shape us and encourage us, Lord, by the truths of your word. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you value us, that you are with us, that you guide us in all things for your glory. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask these things. Amen.